Amen. Hey, friends, before we get started, uh, I just want to say something. Today, especially, is a family day in the worship center. So, as always, I just want you to know, and I think we're in agreement, that children are welcome here, right? Yeah. And there'll probably be some little ones that get a little fidgety. Uh, in fact, before we started, uh, Gloria, who works in the kitchen, she said, Kenny, here's some extra coffee so you don't fall asleep like the rest of us. No, she didn't say that. But uh, my point is, the kids might get a little wiggly. They, they might grunt a little, uh, little babies and stuff. And we're okay with that. Again, right? Right? Okay, good. Uh, I just wanted to be really clear on that matter. And uh, kiddos, welcome. We are so thankful that you're here. And we hope that you worship the Lord with us. Hear what the Spirit of God might have to say for you in the Bible. And uh, we're excited for these days to come. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that it's good and that it is right. And even when my feelings and my thoughts don't match your word, Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help me to uh, be calibrated. My heart would be calibrated to you. We thank you and praise you. We need you. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, suffering is a real issue. And all of us have had it. All of us have had to deal with it. Perhaps it was physical suffering. Where something just stopped working. We needed a doctor. We needed medication. We needed help. Physically, things weren't going well. Or maybe it was mental health. Things just, we went to a dark place. There's depression and hurt that we couldn't get through very easily. Perhaps it's been in relationships where a relationship was broken or a family member wounded you or a friend wounded you. And those hurts are real. We've all suffered. And those, those places where we have suffered we have to ask the question, like, what do we do with it? How do we move on? A few weeks ago, uh, I was preaching, and I mentioned my eighth grade prayer. Eighth grade uh, prayer for me, it, it, I'm, I'm going to talk about how emotionally, mentally shallow I was. That has no reflection on any other eighth grader, okay? Just so we're aware of that, that is true for me. And so uh, I was in eighth grade, and I remember starting to get interested in the scriptures. Well, it was really interesting. I started reading. I was like, Genesis is pretty interesting. I'd never heard some of these stories before. And Exodus and even Leviticus. I, I worked my way through Leviticus. Got all the way to Joshua through this, and I had this prayer. Lord, I, I want to know you better, but would you help me to be better at basketball? <laughs> that was my prayer. Uh, Lord, I want to follow you, but would you make me better at basketball? Would you do that? And I got to tell you that the more I read scripture and the more I prayed, the worse I got. It was horrendous. Uh, eventually, I took my Bible and I set it on the shelf. Now, one thing in all fairness where, where I lived was um, lower income, and I saw my way out 
with college, and the only way I knew to get to college was if I had a scholarship, and the only way I knew to get a scholarship was with, in sports, and also that was my hope because I really liked playing basketball. But it wasn't reality. And like I said, I, 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 I started to do worse. Well, every time it got better, there was a new injury. I, I broke my foot several times during this time, uh, tore my ankle, sprained my ankle, uh, about 10 or 12 times over the season from ninth grade to uh, my junior year. And ultimately, I tore my ACL. And when I tore my ACL, I knew, okay, I'm done. <laughs> There's no coming back from this. And in those days, that's what an ACL tear meant. So it was difficult because there was some mourning, a mourning a loss of what I had hoped for and the direction that I had hoped to go. There was some mental suffering that took place in that place of recognize this dream is gone. But I look back and I go, but what of it? What did God do in that place with this eighth grader's prayer and this high school uh, waywardness? What did God do? And as I look back and I think and consider it, I see that God, I don't, know that, I don't know that God made me suffer, but I suffered. And in that place of suffering, God, God used it to change my trajectory to where he wanted me to go. And in that place of suffering, he, he took me to himself in a way where I wasn't distracted anymore. It turns out basketball is a lousy God. Don't know if you knew that or not, but it is true. You can fit anything in there. It, it could be any sport. It could be any other person. It could be yourself. It could be things and stuff, but they're all lousy gods. Well, it took that sort of suffering to get me to that place. I look back now and I go, praise the Lord. In that place where he got my attention, I suddenly uh, uh, paid attention to God in ways that I was distracted. I received Jesus as my Savior in those days. I sensed God's call for my life and went into Bible college, met Cindy in Bible college, got married to Cindy. We had seven children. We're expecting our first grandchild. Pretty excited about I got to push pause for a second because for those of you that are new here today, let me welcome you into the family. There, Friendship Church has two campuses, uh, but one church, and Matt uh, Clausen, who is the campus pastor over in Prior Lake, and I, we co-pastor at Friendship, okay? So that's, that's the dynamic. I work very closely with Matt. I appreciate your prayers. This is what he said. <laughs> Matt goes, so, did you find out a gender? Because I want to know if you're going to be a grandpa or a grandma. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works, Matt. That's not how it works. Pray for that boy. Uh, he's figuring things out. It's sweet. Um, it's a girl. So we're excited. Yeah, we're excited. Get a baby girl. Cool. I don't know where I was. Um, no, I have it marked right here. Suffering has this way, though, of getting our attention in the moment and doesn't allow us to see what God is doing. Today, uh, I, I want to challenge us. 
I want to challenge us with a, with a reality. That in suffering, we feel forsaken by God. However, when the sufferer trusts the Lord, they recognize that they are actually delivered by God. Hmm. In those days, I thought, basketball is my way out. No, basketball was, was not my way out. Uh, God did a work in those days and delivered me from that horrible, horrendous idol. And perhaps you can look back at your life and see where God has done his work in your life as well. The reality is that suffering is something we all are going to deal with. And there is a place and a space for it. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But before we get there, I want us to understand that suffering does come first before glory. Before we ever experience the good things of God, there, there is suffering. If you want to look at it in terms of nature, that's a great way to look at it. Uh, as, as we are preparing for fall and things start to die, and then we go into this terrible season called construction zone season in Minnesota. I'm just kidding. It's winter. You guys know that. All right. Uh, this winter season, things are, things are dead. It's cold, dark, and gray. And we struggle in those places sometimes. But then spring comes and life comes and we experience this life in beautiful ways throughout our summers. And we see that naturally uh, even in our weather, in our winter, in our seasons. Also, I haven't experienced this firsthand, but I've seen someone experience this firsthand. And that's having a child. It's tough. At least it seems to be. But I'll tell you that that baby in mama's arms after, after going through that labor is worth it. And I saw that seven times. Worth it, worth it, worth it. There's a time of pain. There's a time of suffering. And there is, there is ultimately glory or joy that we experience. Sometimes on the side of eternity, ultimately on the other side. Sometimes we get to see it here. As I said... There are uh, times of suffering, and we have to make decisions what we're going to do with it. Perhaps you're familiar with this term. If you're not, I want to encourage you with it. The term is lamenting. Lamenting is an act of worship whereby we take the suffering and we move beyond just suffering and we lament. You'll see this is a little different than the slides that will be coming up in a little bit. But uh, on the whiteboard today, we have, first of all, these cycles of lamenting, what, what those cycles are like. And then we're going to move into uh, how David communicates this sort of suffering and specifically how that reflects Christ. Matthew 27 uh, deal, uh, pulls passages right out of Psalm 22 that we're going to be dealing with in just a few moments. And then we're going to talk about our response in this passage what is the response of David, and how are we encouraged to respond in the midst of suffering as we transform that into lamenting and we give it all to the Lord? That's the direction we're going. That's what we'll be doing. If you're not there, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. As you're turning to Psalm 22, I want to share this quote with you. I love it. It's by Kit Danley. She's the president of Neighborhood Ministries. And she had a really, what I perceived was a, a really good um, overview of what lamenting is. And she says it this way. 
Lament is an expression of sorrow. It is grief and recognition of death and loss. To lament together is to create the space, physically and emotionally, for wailing and praying and anger, for disbelief and all the other emotions that come with death. We need to be reminded that our cries are not too much for God. In fact, he wants us to come to him. I think oftentimes, at least in Western cultures, we have a tendency to try to ignore or downplay suffering. Not meaning to, but we certainly come across this way often is, you're suffering? Mm, That's too bad. Get over it. Let's move on. Suck it up, right? Like that's kind of the attitude that we have. In fact, I've been in those places where there's been an extreme loss where someone says, and, and they're doing it, they think they're trying to help. They're being kind. They're trying to be gracious. But in the midst of this loss, they'll say things like, oh, it's okay. They're in a better place. Oh, we understand. But think of the celebration they're having. Meanwhile, the person that is suffering that is in the loss of the moment, they can't go there. They're hurting. They're wounded. And we have to give time and space for that type of thing. In the Bible, we call it lamenting. Throughout the book of Psalms, there are several laments throughout there. In fact, there are a big chunk of Psalms that are designated as laments. And we need to embrace those laments. Let me share with you Uh, you'll see as we begin to read in just a moment that there is a cycle. In fact, it goes through the cycle three times in this particular psalm. The cycle is going to start with a complaint. Here is the reality of the way I feel in this situation. It's the way I feel, God, and I'm very angry and I'm very upset, and you're going to hear it in great detail. And then it changes. There's a movement from this, uh, uh, this... complaint to now a confidence in God. But God, this is who you are. Back to a complaint, back to confidence, and in the end, you'll see his response. I hope it encourages you. I hope it even challenges you. In fact, one of the things I'm going to ask of you right now is for you to just be praying. God, would you open my eyes? Is there some suffering in my life that I haven't turned over to you? That I, haven't, that I haven't turned into a lament that I've just kept at suffering? If so, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes individually to think about that, and I want to encourage you to consider it. Don't reject it. Don't push away from it. It doesn't matter how small or how big it is. It's real. And that suffering is something that God can take. In fact, He would like to if we would be willing to worship Him in a lament. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at this passage. Psalm 22, 1 through 5. I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, that's the best, because you can underline, highlight, write notes off to the side. That's the best. You may have your phone. That's a great way to take notes and stuff uh, as well. Encourage you to have access to the scriptures. So with that, uh, let's jump right in. And you'll, you'll immediately start connecting some dots. Psalm 22 starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe you recognize that. Those are Jesus' words on the cross. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, Matthew 27 really takes a lot out of Psalm 22. We see it fulfilled in Christ. 
David is the author of Psalm 22. Many commentators say this about David. We don't see where this psalm really fits into his life. What we do see, though, is that this is a general feeling, but specifically it's a prophetic psalm talking about the coming Messiah that we see lived out in Jesus. Whatever is going on in David's world, he is saying this, God, it feels like you're not present. It feels like you are not with me in this moment. And he's, go- he's continuing with what we'll call the first complaint. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. This is the real situation. This is the real situation that David uh, senses himself in. And in a prophetic way, it's going to talk about the coming Messiah. It also may be a way that you're feeling forsaken. In a place where you have a need, (coughs) and it's a great need, excuse me, and it's a great need, and God is not answering it, and you're praying, and a day goes by, and a week goes by, and a month goes by, and months go by, and a year goes by, and suddenly you're in a spot of like, are you here? Can you not hear me? You feel forsaken. That's, that's, the, that's the perspective that you're living in in those moments. And even in those places, you may feel like your prayers aren't being answered. God, did I do something wrong to offend you? Are you mad at me? Are you angry with me? Is that why you're not responding to my, to my request? Lord, how does this not fall within your will? Why won't you do this now? And certainly the psalmist feels this. And Jesus, while he's on the cross, quotes this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, one thing I should share, and this is a good time to do that, is that in the first century, there was a great way of teaching called remez. Remez means hint. And the rabbis did this often. And in fact, we see Jesus do this throughout the New Testament, where Jesus will take a a phrase or a word from the Old Testament that most people would have been very familiar with, and they would have understood it in a larger context. So Jesus is giving this lament on the cross, but there's a larger context, and you'll see it spelled out even as we move forward uh, in this moment. Let's continue on verse 3. We go from complaint to confidence, yet you are holy. The complaint, I feel forsaken, yet, God, you are holy. You're separated. You are above everyone else. You are different than everyone else. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, some people use this uh, um, principle in the the New Testament. We see it with uh, the early church and how God seems to work in those places of praise. They would say God dwells in the praise of his people. That's certainly true. But we, we see this reality that I have a complaint, but here's the truth. The truth is God is holy and God is present. Let's continue on. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. That's just this beautiful picture of somebody who's going through suffering and yet has the ability to look at other people who followed God and go, you know what? I see how God worked in their life. 
and I know that God has worked in their life, and because God has worked in their life, I, I know that God can work in mine. And this is the confidence that David has in this moment. And so uh, we keep moving to the next complaint. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Uh, this is like he's saying they, they, just, they just continue to ridicule me. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. He's despised and mocked in this place. He's despised and mocked. And he's identifying that. And maybe you've been in that place where you're, you're trying to share Christ. You're trying to live out these, this, uh, this godly life. And all you're getting from the people that are around you, your loved ones, those that care about you, perhaps your neighbors or even in your workplace, is a mocking. Well, that same phrase is used about Jesus in the New Testament as he goes to the cross. And that complaint is real and it is fair. And when we share that with God, he doesn't go, whoa, 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 hey, wait. You can't be feeling that way. You can't think that. Suddenly, I'm not as godlike as I thought I was. He doesn't do that. No. Uh, he's open to that discussion. And as we transform our suffering into lamenting, we take these complaints, and then we talk about our confidence, and certainly he does that in verse 9. Yet ye, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you, was, uh, on you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He's gone from, why have you forsaken me, to there is nobody who can rescue me but you, O oh God. Uh, there, there's a world of difference in this. And yet, lamenting is that. It's both identifying the suffering and being honest with God about it and recognizing that there are times where not only do I feel forsaken, not only does it seem like God isn't answering my prayer, but sometimes I might even be despised and mocked. And we see that uh, in, this, in this psalm of David, even lived out among Jesus as they come around him and they mock him. The religious leaders and the Romans and he's God in the flesh. Suffering needs to turn into lamenting. And God has an answer for it. But yet, David continues on. Verse 12. And I, I should add this, by the way. You're going to see uh, some of the ancient Semitic writings. They'll, they'll take what we would say uh, real pictures and they would take mm, hyperbole, they would take uh, metaphors, and kind of mix it all together. And to us, sometimes it's hard to separate. It sounds like, oh, what do I accept? What don't I accept? How do I understand this? How don't I accept it? Let me just say, that problem is ours uniquely in the West when this is written. It all makes sense. It's all connected together. And, and we certainly see this in here. So, uh, let me just jump into verse 13. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouth at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. He goes on. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my, to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Now, what we have is uh, he's overpowered in this moment, right? Like, as we look at Jesus specifically, he's overpowered by the Roman Empire. He's over, overpowered, if we want to use these terms, by the, the Jewish rulers. Well, we know his kingdoms of heaven, but he submits himself to these authorities. And we too find ourselves in those places of suffering. I'm trying to do what's right, and I'm being overpowered. I'm being overruled. I, I can't do what I believe God is calling me to do. I can't do it the way that God is calling me to do it. What do I do in those places? Be honest. Offer that suffering as a lament to God and then turn to God. And let's talk about the confidence that we can have in the Lord. And I'm going to skip over uh, to verse 19. Yep. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog, the unclean ones. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So again, there is his confidence. All of us are going to suffer. Many of us stay in that place of suffering, and we don't choose lamenting. The Bible encourages us tells us to take this suffering and offer it as a lament, an act of worship to God, whereby we are being honest about where we're at, and yet we're being honest about who God is. And somehow God meets us in that place. And when God meets us in that place, there, there is an openness to God in some unique ways. Let me explain those responses. And the first one, uh, in verse... 20, let's start in 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. What is our response? It's praise. God, despite whatever happens, I, I, as I think back about uh, my torn ACL, God, I, now that I look back, I have some time, I look back and I see your hand, how you steered me to you, how you called me to yourself, how those things were distractions and you brought me to you. And Lord, I want to praise you. And we see this in Psalm 22. As you look back on some of the suffering that you have walked through and as you offer that as a lament to God, what are some praises that come about that? God, how has God met you in those places? And what is praise that you can give to the Lord as your response? Let's continue on. In verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the, afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Well, well wait a minute. Remember early. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're not answering my prayers. You're not present. And now there is a different story. And he's able to look back and see, you know, God did meet me in that place. And that's called testimony, a testimony. What I want to say about a testimony is this. It's not about how good we are or even how bad we are. It's all about God. And in this 
in this particular passage, we get to see how good God is. How God actually was listening. How God actually, his timing was perfect. How God steered David and ultimately his son, Jesus Christ. It's a testimony. So not only do we have opportunity for praise, but we have opportunity to share what God is doing and how God has worked in those places and in those spaces as we lament. Let's continue on. Because he doesn't stop with just the testimony. He goes on to say this. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. It's kind of an interesting thing here. Again, um, uh, commentators identify that this is most likely referring to a drink offering that was done when God would answer a prayer. It was common for people to go into those places of worship and a drink offering would be given. And the response to God's answered prayer was, may your hearts live forever. There's a thankfulness here that comes. Thank you, Lord. That basketball was an idol and you opened my eyes to it. I wish I wouldn't have been so stubborn to have to have a torn ACL to get it, but praise God that you were faithful through it. Praise God, Lord, that you showed me uh, uh, my calling. Thank you, Lord, that I found my wife, who I love and adore. Thank you for my seven children. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you uh, for their spouses. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We can have thankfulness as we look back and consider what God has done. But that thankfulness also leads us to this next piece. I'm going to, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Skip over to verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. In other words, the generations that come up after you, your family, your children, their children. It shall be told of the Lord to the, the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. There is a proclamation of God's goodness. And I would call that also evangelizing. We're saying that there is bad. And in that bad, there is suffering. And in that place of suffering, there is still a God uh, who is real and he is still good and we have confidence in who he is. And because that is true, we also recognize in a bigger sense that we're all sinners and need a savior. In a specific sense that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Specifically that God came in the flesh, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he conquered sin and death and gives life to anyone who would repent of their sins and call on him. There, there is life extended to us. It's a part of our lament even. How we've suffered. How we've taken that suffering and offered it to God. And how we've been honest about who he is in the midst of our suffering. It's a big deal. I want to encourage you to consider any suffering that's going on in your life. Earlier, I made a mention of it, and right now, I'd like you to just kind of bring that up in your own mind. That suffering is, is it a health issue? Is it physical, mental? Is it relational? 
What, what is that suffering that you've been, it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is, like all of it, God is willing to receive as an act of worship and lamenting. And so with it, I want to encourage you to sanctify the hurt. So lamenting allows us to sanctify the hurt. Oftentimes when we go through it, we're asking those why questions, right? Why did this happen to me? Why did God allow this? Why? It's not fair. Well, everyone else does it this way, and they get away with it, and I didn't. Why? And what we're saying is, regardless of all those other things, to say, Lord, in this place of suffering, I I, I want you to separate it, set it apart, and use it to guide me to you even more closely. Jesus did this, exactly this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took this hurt being on the cross, and he separated it for the work of the Father, and that's exactly what happened. Two, give it to the one who can heal you. Give it to the one who can heal you. Sometimes, I'll just tell you, that, that we just stay in those cycles of suffering, and just about the time that the emotional scab goes over, we peel it off again. And that wound is fresh and sore, and we share it again, and we talk about it again. And I'll just be honest with you that uh, in, those, in those places, I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do except to lament, except to transform this. I, I don't know what to tell you but to give it to God. And when we give it to God, he's the one who can heal. That healing may not be immediate, but it is for sure coming. And perhaps... If you've had those spaces and places in your life where you've lamented, you can even see how God used it. How God ministered to you in that place. How he steered you towards him. How he calibrated your heart to be tender to him. And you've experienced God in some pretty profound ways, in part because of the suffering that you had, because you gave that suffering to him. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. We can't handle it. We need God, and God will make sense of it and heal us in those places. Not just that, but embrace his plan. How ridiculous of me to continue to fight, right? Nope, basketball's my thing. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's just try something else. Basketball's my thing. Basketball, like, I was was zoned in, friends. But when I started embracing his plan, wow, God opened up some doors, and That's one experience I recognize he does it differently with different people. That was my experience in that situation. That's how it worked out. But for you to embrace his plan and to say, okay, Lord, in this place where I have a broken relationship, maybe you want to do something. Maybe in this place where my health isn't what I I, I think it should be, or in this new chapter of life, and it's not the way it used to be, Lord, maybe there's something here that you want to do with it. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to embrace your plan in these days. And watch and see what you do. As the worship team comes out, I want to encourage you as we prepare for communion to do just that. Lord, what, what do you have for me in this? I am offering this suffering to you as an act of worship and lamenting. What would you like to do? How, how would you like to do this? I trust you to go from not just the complaint, but also the confidence. Communion was given to us by the Lord. In fact, the early church and until now, communion has been a part of our practice. 
it's a time for us to repent of any sin and follow him. To be more specific. And this is going to sound a little, a little tough. So hang in there with me. I'm telling you because I love you. <laughs> I, have, I have no reason to have these difficult conversations afterwards, just so you know. But if you've been suffering and staying in that suffering for years and years and years, and if all you have done is had anger towards God and you've never gone to the confidence part and you've never offered this as an act of worship, that's called disobedience. Disobedience is a form of sin. Sin is what we're called to repent of. Repenting is like this, Lord, I am going in the wrong direction and I have sinned against you and I am turning to follow you. And today may be the day where you say, okay, I can be real about the suffering, but now I'm going to be confident in the truth of who you are and watch and see what God will do. We have four stations in the room. We encourage you as you have the freedom in Christ to move forward, to go to the carpeted areas, to come forward, to go to the station nearest you and to return in the outside, back to your seat. And after this next song, we'll participate together. Would you let me just pray for you before we go? Jesus, we love you and we need you. We thank you because you are indeed good to us. Lord, in these moments as we wrestle with the reality of the suffering that we sometimes endure and sometimes that we endure in rebellion, rolling around in the mud as it were in our own suffering and not offering it to you as a worshipful lament, we ask that you would forgive us. We ask, O oh Lord, that even today as we come together in this communion that we would see you at work, your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed, that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.